Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That encouraging verse is Isaiah 41, verse 10. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Today, we're going to be discussing unschooling at home uh, or while traveling, as our guest does. First, uh, have you checked out our special series of episodes with my guest, Dr. Jared Brown? Uh, Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, forensic, traumatic brain injuries. Um, I have been blown away with these episodes. I'm recording this series with Dr. Brown, and we're really focusing on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents, such as prenatal exposure, prenatal trauma, um, adverse childhood experiences, attachment, uh, so, so much more. Dr. Brown is a treasure trove of information and practical application, so be sure to keep an eye on your inbox for those special episodes. Um, These regular episodes, the one you're listening to right now of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, they drop into your uh, inbox on your device on Mondays, but the special series with Dr. Brown will drop on a different day. Um, At this recording, uh, I know that we're dropping on Fridays, And we're actually kind of going with the topic, what every adoptive and foster parent should know, uh, because it's just such relevant information. So they will drop on Fridays. Um, As we journey together through the summer months, uh, looking ahead to a new school year, several of our summer episodes have been uh, and will continue to feature discussions about educating our kids. Um, children that come to us through adoption, through foster care, kids who've experienced trauma, FASD. Um, it's just educating them, right? Their, their uh, school days and years are very challenging. Um, whether you have them in public school, private school, or you're homeschooling, or you don't know what to do. Um, maybe what you're doing is working and it's great and you don't have a problem. Um, or maybe last school year you were pulling your hair out. Um, in some places in the country, school has already returned. So you're listening to this episode and your kids are already back. Um, school has started whatever way you school. Um, and, you know, maybe it's not working. Maybe it is working. But I've been interested to hear what other parents are doing for a number of years. Um, I was a homeschooling mom with my um, biological children, with our adopted children, um, and we homeschooled forever. And I just thought that's what we were always going to do. And then all of a sudden uh, we pivoted and they went to school. Uh, the two youngest who are adopted, who have FASD. Um, and that was working until it wasn't working. 
And um, one graduated from, from school, but the other we pulled home and we're homeschooling again. And way back in those early days, there weren't podcasts especially dedicated to homeschooling. There weren't really podcasts dedicated um, to homeschooling adopted kids with trauma and FASD. Uh, I've stumbled upon a, I, sh- I shouldn't say I stumbled upon it. Our dear friend, Natalie Vecchione actually invited me into a homeschooling, a, a Facebook group um, called Homeschooling the FASD Way. I had no idea that existed. Um, so when we were all of a sudden faced with, you know, in the midst of COVID, bringing our um, then 14, 15 year old son home, uh, and I started thinking, how am I going to do this? Because a big problem we had all along was, um, you know, how do you do the services and how do you, you know, what curriculum and what grade level and, you know, how this is just hard and different. Um, so when I jumped onto that Facebook group, it was a game changer. And I began learning what other parents are doing and that this oftentimes homeschooling can actually be an invaluable accommodation that we make for our kiddos, especially the ones with FASD. Um, but there are other families that have their kids in school um, and it's successful and it's working. So I want to hear from uh, other families to hear what they're doing. So we've been talking about this on our series, uh, including today's um, episode. Uh, that's what we're talking about over the summer. Also, stay tuned to the um, end of the episode for some announcements about FASD but September is International FASD Awareness Month. So we're actually going to devote all of our September episodes to specifically to the topic of FASD. And I even have um, one young man with FASD who just recently um, wrote a book uh, about his experience of living with FASD, uh, adopted young man, uh, and homeschooled actually also. <laughs> and... Um, I had the opportunity to read his book before it actually was released. I got to be part of that launch team and incredible resource for parents and for young adults um, or anyone who has an FASD because it's just such a such an encouraging read, but it's very raw and realistic as well. So I'm going to be interviewing him and I've got some other amazing guests lined up for September. So lots of amazing stuff coming your way. Uh, Stay tuned to the end of this episode um, for a very important announcement about our Hope for the FASD Journey community, a community of support led by Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope and myself. We are two adoptive moms of kids with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, and we are living the dream, living the experience, uh, and we know we need each other, and we assume... You all need each other too. So we've created a community where we can all connect. Uh, So exactly how you can go about doing that, you can find on our website. And I'll talk a little bit more about it at the end of this episode. But I want to get to today's guest. Judy Smith is a single adoptive mom of three kids diagnosed with FASD. She unschools her youngest child and helps parents of children with FASD, prenatal drug exposure, and or ASD. Uh, She's got so much to share that we can learn from and be inspired by. So please welcome to the show, Judy Smith. Hey, Judy. 
Hey, Sandra. I am so happy to finally have you on the show. Um, I know you have a harrowing adoption FASD journey yourself. <laughs> yep. Um, and, and yet you're out there helping and encouraging and equipping parents as well. So we're going to get to all of that, but mm-hmm. I would love uh, for our listeners to, to meet you and to just start at the beginning of your story. Mm-hmm. What led you to become an adoptive parent? Oh gosh, that feels like so long ago, but it also feels like yesterday. Um, you know, our journey, like others, it was through the journey of infertility. And um, I really, I wanted to have children and it just wasn't, you know, going to happen the old fashioned way. So um, we uh, were looking at different ways to have a family. And one of the ways that we uh, looked at seriously was adoption. We looked at, you know, international, we looked at local, we looked at private, we looked at a whole variety of things. And so it, it was really um, through that journey of infertility and then doing our own personal or me doing my own personal work and figuring that all out. And um, yeah, we ended up going um, local through, so through the Ministry for Children and Family in British Columbia. And um, that's what we did. So who came, so you went through adoption. (laughs) Yeah, that's the short version and that's fine. Um, So I know you've adopted three children. So tell us kind of how they came into your family. Okay, so... um, when we started the adoption journey, I really had on my heart that I wanted to adopt an infant. But because we went through the Ministry of Children and Family, I was told that that was highly unlikely. Also, I was told the pros and cons of, you know, going with infant versus going an older child. Um, so we had put, you know, boy or girl between, you know, below the age of three, I think. And lo and behold, um, not that much longer, although it seemed like forever when you don't know what your due date is, <laughs> forever, <laughs> yes. um, then um, we were proposed my oldest son, who is now going to be 22, and he was about two and a half months old and was about an hour away from our community and staying with a foster family there. So that's how we found out about him, and we went to visit. I mean, we accepted the proposal went to visit so that's how he came into our family and um then about a year later or so it was about a year later we wanted to start the adoption process again because i was already in my later 30s and i i didn't want you're gonna laugh later but you i really (laughs) didn't want to start with a newborn or a baby when i was 45 or you know in my 40s so um we started looking and then lo and behold um my oldest son, Zachary's little brother popped up and he had just been born. Um, he, uh, like my oldest son, had been prenatally exposed to, for sure, for drugs. Um, mom, Birth mom said no to alcohol, but everyone is questioning that. And, um, you know, other things were going on. But when my second son was born, he actually almost didn't make it. He um, was in the hospital for about 10 days and he had a stroke and seizures um, mm. as a result of stroke came the seizures and likely the stroke became, came because of crack, uh, which is what um, the birth mom's drug of choice. And so 
if you know, birth moms use crack, then there's a higher chance of stroke. And so um, it took a little bit longer. He ended up in the same foster home as my oldest son had been in, which we were super excited about because she was great. And um, we did visits back and forth, but he didn't come home till he was about nine, nine and a half months old, just because there was a lot of concern about the um, the stroke. He was also having seizures. The um, pediatrician was extremely cautious and um, about prognosis. Now that he's 20, I can understand now much more why he was so cautious because he knew a whole lot more than I did about what was going to come down the road. Um, and then um, I, I thought we were done. Um, and so we started adopting, uh, not adopting, fostering in there. And we'll talk, I think we may talk a bit more about that later. Started fostering. But then um, when my boys were about, I think, seven and eight, somewhere around there, um, I was definitely in my 40s. I got a surprise phone call that they had a baby sister who had mm. been born um, the day before. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, gosh, this is the shortest pregnancy in history. <laughs> And so, um, yeah, and the hard part was she was a girl. The other mm -hmm. hard part was she was a sister. And mm -hmm. um, so that really got my heart, you know, doing flip-flops. And um, we decided we decided very quickly that we would also add her to our family. But then we said no more. <laughs> like, done. <laughs> I'm not going to do yeah. it. I'm not going to start when I'm in my 50s. Like, we're done. Yeah. So, yeah, that, so she came um, then, you know, at that point, and she came straight from the hospital as a newborn. I got to pick her up. It was really funny because on the way to the hospital, because I was a foster parent, so she came as because I was a foster parent, and then we were going to um, adopt her. That was the agreement. But I remember driving to the hospital going, I don't even know what color my baby is. <laughs> <laughs> It was very cool. Oh, oh, awesome. So so you were in your 40s and had a newborn, which yes. was something you really didn't plan. But, yes. you know, God has other plans. Sure does. Um, <laughs> so was was she exposed to crack too? Was mom yeah. still using? Yeah. Yeah. She was, ex yeah, she was exposed as well. And then also, I think it's called uh, palsy. Um, it's when um, it was a traumatic birth. And so she, she had this um, shoulder issues and so she had a very sore shoulder and so I had to be very careful with that when she was first born like she couldn't raise her arm or anything like that she mm. would just cry like crazy but um yeah so she had that in jaundice and stuff like that so we're strongly suspecting that there was um gestational diabetes as well that birth mom had that so yeah there was wow. a few things going on yeah so Typically, we can sort of assume that if there's been drugs going on, mom was probably drinking yeah. alcohol too, yeah. um, even if they don't admit to that. But yeah. so, what, Judy? What symptoms were you seeing? Um, you know that we now know are probably FASD, but maybe you didn't know, you know, yeah. about that back then. But what symptoms were you seeing, and at what point did you learn about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I'm going to say start by saying my daughter is now 13. My boys are 20, almost 22, and 20, 20. Um, so, I mean, it's been a long journey, right? That's the point. And when they, you know, back then when my boys were born, um, I was told it's only drugs. They will be totally fine. 
completely well, you know, functioning adults. They can live independently. They can go to college. They'll have jobs. I mean, I don't think anybody should tell anybody that, but anyway, that's what we were told, especially about my oldest. And um, so I didn't suspect um, prenatal um, or FASD. I didn't. And, and back then, like I, the understanding of it is different um, than what I have it of it now. And what the information was, was a lot less than what is out there now. And so I remember when um, we had infant development, which is a service that you can get. Um, I guess it's a government social service um, service that other people probably get to, but it's called something different. And so they started coming right when he was already a baby and just checking milestones and seeing if he was on target and that kind of thing. So I had those flags. So social was, was an adaptive was definitely behind still extremely behind. Um, and then other areas were ahead, like intellectual. Um, with both my boys, that was the case. And then also um, walking was delayed. Um, for my second son, it was understandable because he had had a stroke. And so it affected the left side of his body. So, you know, that was a whole other factor that was factoring in. Um, but every time I was told something, you know, I, I would be told that, you know, he had a spe speech and language delay or if he had issues with adapt, being a, able to adapt. I didn't know what that was. Um, you know, I was told different pieces, got different pieces. But every time it's like, you know, I know that's just a part of the elephant. That's not the whole elephant. That's just the piece mm -hmm. of it. I know there's more. I know there's more. So I kept feeling like I was getting a bit more, but I wasn't getting the whole thing and um then when my oldest was um nine or ten um he had an assessment a private psychologist did an assessment and he i mean she recognized the exposure but he also got the diagnosis of autism and then my other son he didn't get autism diagnosis till he was like 17 and then their sister got it earlier, like she was about 11 or 12, because, you know, there's two and they're all right. have the same birth mom. So really like it was, you know, and as I started to take trainings, as I had people come into my life and like a behavior consultant, that was amazing, not um, focused on behavior, but seeing behavior more as a symptom is what, what's really going on. And then she directed me to a fabulous, um, counselor who again is trauma informed and um, autism and prenatal exposures like that's that's her work that's what she does mm -hmm. so for me it was a slow unfolding because we never got the FASD diagnosis it was getting more pieces and also me slowly opening up to being able to hear what other people were telling me and what they were seeing in my kids that's a long answer. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great answer because that's oftentimes what happens yeah. for parents is you get all these bits and yeah. pieces yeah. and you suspect, you know, but what's the big picture? What's what's really going yeah. on here? It's not just these little pieces yeah. and how are they? You know, I always say, you know, there's this whole alphabet soup yeah. of diagnoses but what's, you know, yeah. when you put it all together, what you, what do you get? So, yeah, so your kids actually, you don't have like an FAS diagnosis. It was the autism is what they got, but you still yeah. know in your heart of hearts that yeah. they were, well, the alcohol plays a role. 
well yeah and also like um drugs was huge like because her the life that the um her lifestyle choices i mean were ones that she chose because of the hurt and pain birth mom that she chose because of hurt and pain in her life and that's mm-hmm. how she was dealing with it and so um and we already said like alcohol is very highly likely but even if it's we'll just say just just, it's massive yeah massive there's no way that they're going to be independent because it's not just one it's usually a cocktail so right right yeah so so you've had other i know when you and i were talking um previously you've had some other um symptoms along the way that you now know like that slow processing pace and the dismaturity and um you know there's attachment and trauma and all those things in there all of that um which makes, you know, it's it's such a fun journey to be on, right? (laughs) It it totally does. And then, you know, not understanding and not getting it. And also then hearing um, from other people, you know, that your child's not measuring up and not realizing that this is because the brain works differently, that when they're wailing and crying, they they can't stop, you know? And um, by my being angrier at them, it's just actually exacerbating the whole situation and making it, worse because their brain really does work differently and um yeah Yeah. just you know just with issues with school like they just having to stop how I was working with them and and, uh, going in a whole other direction but I had to really think differently and um think about where they were at and and that's hard. <laughs> yeah. Really, really hard. Yeah. 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 Cause when you don't have neurotypical kids, you, you know, we have to change our yeah. expectations and yeah. the environment so that yeah. they can be successful, yeah. but they can look like neurotypical kids yeah. and people don't get it. So yeah, well, we're going to get to education here yeah, shortly because that's definitely, yeah. And I wanted to add like what you just said, the, the I don't know if conundrum is the right word. The challenge is, though, is that they can walk like or talk like little Einsteins, like they can be so their vocabulary skills can often be off the charts high because there's that um, not always, but there's that inconsistent development. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's some areas that they're really, really good in. And then there's areas that they're really challenged in. And there's that massive gap. Massive gap. And that is actually the challenge is the gap. It's not what they're really good in and what they're really struggling in. It's the fact that there's such a big gap between those two things. And so there's the expectation that they're going to be really high in everything or really low in everything, but it's usually really high in everything. And that puts a whole lot more pressure and stress on them. And they shut down, they have meltdowns, you know, all those other behaviors that come because, you know, their people aren't getting it around them. Right. Yeah. The expectations are not, they're set too high. Yeah. Uh, And then eventually, I always say it's like trying to fit that round peg into the square hole. And over time, you just keep forcing it. And then we end up with the secondary symptoms. We Um, do. Yeah. We really do. And and I think one of the huge um, challenges is when we get hung up on the fact that our kids are bright, we put way too much emphasis on our kids are really bright because when we do that that's all we see and then we don't really give um we don't make the other parts valid that they're that those struggles are real that they're not doing that on purpose yeah yeah Yeah. 
Oh, so much, so much good stuff to talk about here. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> Judy. So, yes. so now in the midst of all of that, you did continue to become, to, to, con- to you continue to foster. Yeah. Um, and at one point you were doing that as a single parent. So tell yeah. us about your, you, you fostered for quite a few years. Tell yeah. us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. I actually started fostering when my two boys were, um, I think my, I think my youngest Asher was in preschool, like he was four and then Zachary was six. So that's when I started fostering and I started fostering babies. Um, Because like I said, I didn't want to adopt in, you know, when I was a bit older in my forties. But I still had lots and lots of love to give. And I love babies and I loved um, um, not love medical challenges, but that's kind of where my gifting was and my mm-hmm. skill set was. I'm not a nurse. I'm a teacher. <laughs> and that was my skill set was. And I also wanted an opportunity to, maybe it sounds different, but um, to parent baby girl. I wanted an opportunity mm-hmm. to parent baby girl, though, you know, I was totally fine not adopting and that was not the plan. And so, yeah, I the first babies that I had were baby girls and that totally filled my love bucket. It was awesome. <laughs> and so, yeah, I did that for about 10 years. And then the last group um, that I fostered before I quit was a sibling group of three. And um, the um, one of the sisters came to me when she was one and a half, so she could be with her siblings. And the other two, I, I uh, fostered from infancy from the hospital. Yeah. But it was good. You know, I, I loved working with parents. Um, it was a variety of things, you know, that I dealt with. One baby had like 13 fractures because he had been thrown, mm. but I developed oh. an amazing relationship with the mom. She was not the person who did it. And we're friends on Facebook, right? Like it's, mm. it was really cool. Wow. Yeah. So you, are you still fostering? No, no. I stopped. Um, I think it was 2014. I think I stopped. So about eight years ago. About eight years ago. Yeah. So, and now your your kids now, your three are, you said 22, 20, and 13. That's right. And only your 13-year-old is home now. That's right. Awesome. So she is the one you are homeschooling, and you kind of called it unschooling. Yeah. So tell us, what, what led you to homeschool or unschool? Okay, so I, I homeschooled my boys as well. And then... Um, when she came along and was school age, I just carried on. I always did one year at a time. People will go like, are you going to do this forever? I have no idea. I'm just doing one year at a time. <laughs> and I'm still doing one year at a time. About 14 years later, I'm still doing one year at a time. Um, and so in BC, like I know when we were talking before in British Columbia, there's two tracks you can go. One, you can do um, true homeschooling. Or you can do where um, we call it um, enrolled. And so you are connected to a school and you have to do the curriculum from the school. And so that is the track that I had chosen and I will go back to. Um, And then for my one son, we had to totally modify it just because his needs were too great. And it was just too much frustration for him. And it was really affecting behavior. So he is still finishing out high school and he's 20, which is awesome. With um, Olivia, my daughter, we um, were up through not this past school year, the school year before she was still enrolled and we were doing all the curriculum as assigned with a one-to-one support, which is fabulous. This past year, I chose 
unschooling or world schooling um, mm-hmm. because I wanted to travel. I had, um, you know, been intensely parenting for many years. I had gone through some really difficult challenges in my life. And I talk a lot with my parents, you know, in the work that I do, that we need to take care of ourselves, that we need to have our dreams and our visions and our plans, not at the expense of our kids, but, you know, that works with. And so one of the things that I found um, as I was going through some big changes was there was a community of um, parents who were traveling with their kids and they were educating their kids as they were traveling. And so a lot of it is, you know, places that you go and things that you do and experiences that you have and, you know, culture and foods as part of the culture, all those things. And I thought that would be really cool. And so I did that this past year, we were in Mexico for seven and a half months. And um, so she did go to like an expat school and we did some different things, um, world school activities and, a lot of downtime, but that's just, mm. she also had a lot of emotional challenges just because of things that have happened over the years. So that really was our focus was just to build our, keep building on our bonded connection um, so that she has a soft place to land. We had a counselor continuing to work with us through that. Um, and then this year, we are going to continue traveling. So we went back home for the summer to Kelowna, BC. And then September 1st, I've rented out my place. And we are going to be doing house sitting with um, an organization called Trusted House Sitters. And we have our first pet sit in Vancouver. And so it'll be a whole different journey this time around. Wow. So is that where you go and stay in somebody else's house and care for their pet? Yeah. And their home plants. How cool is that? (laughs) Yeah. And again, I heard about that from, you know, other parents that are doing world schooling and it was just, and it started from my just having this little question hitting Google and going um, for me at that time, single parent or still single parent and travel. That's what I Googled. And then my world just opened Wow. So I know you had shared with me that your, your house that you live in year round Mm -hmm. is near a university. So you can actually rent that out for the school year to university students. So you have an income that way. And then you get to take your daughter and basically travel the world. And that's school. Yeah, that's right. And now with the house sitter one, like she all last year, she was begging for a cat. And I'm like, Oh, gosh, no, I want to travel still. So that was we, you know, I do a lot of collaborative, collaborative parenting. So talking and working together. So when I ran across this, I ran the idea by her and she was keen. I mean, I'm sure I have to do most of the work, but she's going to be very happy having pets. So I, <laughs> so that will be good. And yeah, I do. I can, um, I was very intentional about where I bought so that I could do long-term or short-term rental. And so I think that, you know, in talking to parents too, is that you can have a dream or an idea and it can look totally impossible in the situation or circumstances that you're in, but it doesn't mean you can't have that dream or idea. It took me, you know, what, a lot of years, like five, six years before I did it. Like I first had to sell my house, then I sell my townhouse. Like I kept getting closer to my goal and now we're able to do it. 
That's just so creative. And I know oftentimes when you think of homeschooling, there's this misconception that there's, you know, that you're basically going to just do school like it is at school at home, right? You have to have first period, second period, third period, you have to do like all of the things. And Mm -hmm. I know where I live in the United States and I'm in New York state, it's one of the most regulated states when it comes to homeschooling. So there's all these boxes you have to check and you have to report to the school district and all of that. But I have found with my, you know, I'm only homeschooling one now, like you are. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he's, he's a teenager and and he's got FASD. So Mm -hmm. um, school is different because, you know, we're only going to go just so far in the reading and we're only going to go just so far in the math. Um, We have to really focus more on life skills and that is still learning. So focusing on their emotional health is just as important as trying to figure out, you know, I don't know what a noun and a verb is, right? Like it's more important to focus on the emotional health, right? Yeah. So I- I found it to be liberating here in New York where yeah. on all of my reports, I have it plastered all over everything, what his disability is yeah. and what we're focusing on and what goals yeah. I have set. So I feel like I've got some freedom yeah. from some of those regulations um, and that's okay. But to be able to travel, cause we, um, you know, we have a camp up in the Adirondack mountains mm. and my husband and I are also, you know, older. My husband's approaching 60 I'm not, I'm only in my mid fifties, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, we're at that age where most people, you know, like you, most people are empty nesters, yeah, right? Exactly. Where we're still parenting and we're not just parenting, we're parenting, you know, very challenging, you know, children with very challenging issues. So, um, we need, it's almost like going to camp for us is our self-care. Um, and our, our son comes with us. So with homeschooling, we're not stuck with, um, you know, I think it's a misconception that homeschooling has to happen from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. or whatever a traditional school day is. When you can yeah. really have academics done in the morning and have the rest of the day to explore and learn and do other things. And for us, sometimes academics is uh, kayaking, you know, yeah. on a lake in the mountains or hiking or fishing or whatever. Um, there's so many different ways to do school. Um, yeah, Exactly. And we have one of the big things. I mean, I'm, I didn't mention it yet, but my background is teaching. Like I taught in schools for like 18 years. And so it was a big learning curve for me to get that. But a big question or a big thing we have to ask ourselves is like, why did I take my child out of the school system in the first place? We did Mm -hmm. it because it wasn't working. What wasn't working? Well, the structure wasn't working. The number of students, like so many things were working, but the way school is set up wasn't working for our kids. And so we have to think outside the box and do differently, but it's hard. Yeah. Oh, I totally, totally agree. Um, So Judy, what advice would you give our fellow adoptive and foster parents who are listening? What advice would you give about educating our kids, especially our kids who have trauma histories, prenatal exposure, because so many times they think I could never do that. I could never do what the school (laughs) is doing. Right. Okay. The reason I'm laughing is, and I told you this when we were, when we were, you know, chatting before is that my thing that I would say to anybody that, you know, would ask me about homeschool or whatever, or we're homeschooling. I'm like, you know what? I will never homeschool because with my oldest son, one of us will not live to the end of the day. (laughs) 
<laughs> forget the school year. Like we're not even going to make it to the end of the day because it's super strong willed um, his way or the highway. Um, I always said he was in love with his own ideas. He still is today, which isn't always so good. Um, so, you know, what would I say? I think, you know, yourself best, you know, your kids best, you know what they need best. You do not have school training, um, but I can't believe I'm going to say this as an educator, but that's not always what our kids need. When our kids' mm. brains work so differently, we have to teach differently. And our kids often are um, kinesthetic learners, and that means they um, will use, they'll be hands-on. Um, definitely multisensory, so they need to use all their senses. And best way to do that is to do projects or hands-on activities or get out in paddle canoe and, you know, see the beavers and the dams and while well, we were in Mexico, the flamingos and different things like, and, and learn about those things like in a real world tangible way. Our kids also often... Um, I talked earlier about adaptive skills. Well, those are really the practical skills. And those aren't taught in schools. Those are expected that our kids have it. And our kids don't have it. And so by the time they get older, they're so frustrated because they feel stupid. They're called lazy. My son was actually called lazy. Um, they're called a whole lot of things. And they, and even if they're not called those things, they know it. They feel it because of the vibes that they're often they're super perceptive, super perceptive. And you don't have to say anything, but they they get it, but they don't understand completely what's going on. And so our kids really need life skills, hands on mm. skills, because, yeah. you know, you were saying like nouns and verbs, like when they're 22, is somebody and if they're not in university, is somebody going to say, like, do you know your nouns and verbs? Or right. you know is walk? Is that a noun or a verb? They're, but they're going to kind of look at you strange if you got spaghetti stains on your shirt. Right. Right. Yeah. So sometimes and it depends, like every child is different, whether they're neurotypical or not. Everyone's different. And so some of our kids will need more social skills um, and um, basic life skills, conversation mm -hmm. skills than others. But homeschool, you can really tailor it to what their specific needs are. The other thing is you can really, um, if you don't make it about you, and if you learn some specific tricks and tips and, and ways of being, you can really start to build your connection with your re and relationship with your child, mm -hmm. which is foundational. Because when you hit those teenage years, hormones are insane. Yes. Um, and media is insane. So you want to still be an influence in their life. You want mm. them to trust you and be able to tell you things. And my daughter is struggling in a lot of ways. She doesn't tell me everything but she tells me a lot of things. That's the other thing that's been great about traveling, just the two of us, is we're in close proximity a lot of the time. And that's been really good for her because um, she's not going to ask for it, but she regulates off of me because our kids often have issues with regulation. So mm -hmm. there's so, I mean, I could write a book on this. Like there's so many benefits to homeschooling, even if you um, aren't a teacher, like it's probably better that you're not a teacher. So you don't think like one. Yeah. 
Oh, totally. Yeah. And, and you were just, just talking and made me think about when, when we were adopting our children from Ukraine, uh, we actually, we were a homeschool family already mm-hmm. and we took our kids with us. We took our four kids with us to Ukraine. They were there for about two weeks. Wow. They got to experience a culture of food. They got mm. to visit the orphanage and see yeah. how and where their siblings were coming from. They got to meet them in that environment. Um, and then when we all got home, uh, we didn't, you know, we spent a couple of weeks, several weeks, actually, not focusing on academics, yeah. but focusing on getting to know one another yeah. and building relationships and learning from each other. Yeah. And I really feel like that went a long way in bonding as a family because it wasn't like they were home and then all of the other kids went off to school to their separate Mm -hmm. grades, to their separate school buildings. We were just all together at home getting to know each other. And eventually, you know, the kid, we added some academics in there, but, but overall, and I did have somebody tell me who had been a homeschooler, oh, put them in school. You should not be homeschooling them now. And I'm like, no, I'm pretty positive. This is what we're supposed to do. And it was the best thing because it began, everybody began to bond. And even Mm -hmm. today they're all older. You know, my oldest biological is 33 and they're all the way down to our youngest is, um, almost 17. And they're, they still all have great relationships with each other sibling relationships. So sometimes it's, you know, not great, but, but they do all, you know, we can all come together for the holidays and they even all, um, some of them do things together outside Mm -hmm. of even, you know, they'll go to dinner or they'll go do things. So it's just, it's, that was a huge blessing. And that was school. That was more educational than if we stayed home and just did textbooks all day long. Right. Exactly. And, and also like when you choose to school kids from home is you can really tailor it to what their brain differences are and what they need. And one of the things I often hear is, but I have to prepare for them for the real world. Well, they're already living in their real world. This Mm -hmm. is their real world. And so we need to meet them there so that we can um, nudge, gently move them to whatever their next level is at their rate and pace, because they might be 13 or 14 or whatever, but they could be functioning, you know, some days at two and some days at seven and some days at 15. So we really... You know, and I love, like what you said is a little bit different, but it really triggered that thought in me. Like Mm -hmm. it is, it's, you can, um, you can take that stress way down. Yeah. It's not a cakewalk. Like the stress can go up too, but then you have to adapt and change. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we don't want to paint too rosy of a picture here because it's not easy because you are with your kids (laughs) all day long and it can be challenging and you're dedicated. Like my my son needs one-on-one. Yes. I can't tell him, go read this book. I can't even tell him, uh, sit here and do this page of math. Yeah. And then I'll check on you because he won't do any of the math. Exactly. I have to be sitting next to him and keeping him on track and then he can do it. So he needs one-on-one. So it's a sacrifice that I have to make of my time and other things that, you know, that I maybe could be doing, but this is a priority and I'm willing to do that because it's the best way for him to learn. I've seen it um, time and time again. 
And can you imagine the behaviors and the challenges that he would have? Like school isn't bad. I'm not saying school is bad, but for him in that setting, if he needs one-on-one and help him stay focused to be in an environment where there's so many distractions, like, can you, like, it wouldn't work and his secondary, his behaviors would go way up. Right. Or like when he was in school, they would just send all that work that didn't get done at his desk at home. And I would be sitting with him anyway in doing it in the evening and his brain had checked out by then so this is really the best fit for him exactly um but it can be stressful so speaking Mm -hmm. of that (laughs) um i know judy your story includes trauma your kids yourself what do you do for self-care um you know how do you how do you keep yourself mentally and emotionally healthy okay you know, that's a big question. Um, I talk about this all the time. And um, it's often easier to tell other people to do it than do it yourself. However, I have come so, so, so far. I, I talk about self-care. And when I talk to parents, you can see their eyes roll in the back of their heads. It's like, yeah, right. When am I going to do that? <laughs> so when I started to do it, because um, there was a point that I was parenting six kids, three foster children, and then my three on my own, all traumatized at the same time. So it had to be very, very small. I had to take baby steps. And so sometimes it was um, telling myself something positive. You know what? You did really well. Like that was really hard, but look, you know, usually he went screaming through that, but he didn't go screaming this time. Look, you got out of bed this morning. Mm -hmm. Starting, starting by just giving myself positive affirmations by doing gratitude, um, writing that down. uh, And then, looking, visiting, revisiting it over time to see um, how far I'd come to measure that journey. Because sometimes we can get stuck in like it's never changing, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. it is. It's just changing very, very slowly. I also had, because I I was a solo parent and um, there was a lot of traumatic stuff that happened at that time, I did have a relief person that came in. And I remember saying, you know, it's worse when I come home because I'd be, you know, gone. And they'd like, that could be, but you still need to take that break. You you still need to um, take care of you and get re-energized. And even if it is harder, you still have to do that. So I listened. (laughs) I kept Mm -hmm. doing it. Um, There were other things that I had to do along the way. And these are not easy decisions. Um, We didn't really talk about this before, but this is a part of it. When my boys hit um, young adults, you know, 19, my uh, my younger one was a bit younger, but he had some uh, very challenging behaviors. He had come a long, long way because of the changes I'd made. But I had to think of my daughter and I had to think of myself. I put them in um, home shares and, uh, and supportive care. Um, settings and they're still there today. So I needed to do that so that I could really focus in on my daughter's mental and social and physical Mm -hmm. health and also mine. Um, It's not a failure that I did that. I have to tell myself that because sometimes it's like, Judy, you talk to parents about these strategies and these ideas, but some, you know, is that a failure? And it's like, no, that's not a failure. It's, it's doing what these were young men (laughs) and Mm -hmm. this is what they needed. And this is, they needed to be in a different environment and you needed to protect yourself and you needed to protect your daughter. Mm. You had brought your, your boys a long, long, long way. Wasn't calling the police anymore. 
but I needed to really focus in on my daughter and what I was teaching my daughter about um, being a woman and taking care of myself physically, socially, emotionally, all those areas, self-care. What am I teaching her? And so mm-hmm. modeling that, um, you know, reading a book. Um, I don't know if there's other things you and I talked about that I forgot, but those are those are big pieces. And what I tell myself is huge. Um, yeah. yeah. And you also had a counselor, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I had like, I, I think I referred to early on, I had a counselor and the behavior consultant, they're friends, and they kind of tag teamed and teamed up on me. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and then I also had hired um, someone who did my relief care. Um, I trained her, she is now working for the behavior consultant. <laughs> like, so now <laughs> I've got three of them. Um, but I think keeping them in my life has been good, because there's always somebody ahead of me. And that's mm-hmm. really important because we're always learning something new, always learning something different. And, um, and, ha- and our kids are always changing too. They're not static, right? In our, right, right? And we're not static. We're getting older. And so those three have been really instrumental. Um, and so getting a team of people around you is really important. And you might look at, you know, this podcast and go, mm-hmm. well, how am I supposed to do that? Again, it's something that, um, evolves over time and it's mm-hmm. finding people it's networking it's and I know that takes time it's baby steps it's asking those people if they know people and just building just building yes from that yeah because we we really can't you know I I've been a, a an adoptive parent for gosh 22 years yeah. I guess so far and and you know, this was the first year that I really, we reached out and I got a support person for my son for the summer, just for three days during the week for, you know, a total of 12 hours who would come uh, and just a guy that I knew from our church that would, he came and spent time and they went, they, you know, he took my son to all, you know, the the museum and the aquarium and all these different places, get him out of the house, give him some structured activities. He had the one-on-one stuff and it was partly self-care for me, but also so I could work and do what I'm doing right now with you. I, you know, because if I didn't have him have the support person, then my son would be just sitting in his room. Exactly. Cause they won't, they're not able to do that for themselves. right? Right. And so exactly. And, and then what happens is, yeah, you pay for that and maybe you you don't yeah but I a do. lot of people yes. pay because that's the next question is like how am I going to pay for that however it on one hand you're paying for it but you're also reaping from it yeah and it helps your emotional health as well yes. and you feel better and it spirals things upward rather than spiral it yes downward and you don't yes want that. yeah because not only was it helping my son it's helping me at yes. the same time 100 percent and and that is important. Um, so there's, it's that, that ways to kind of help have help carrying the load, so to speak. Yeah. Um, super, super important for, yes. for our kids and for us. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Great things there. So Judy, like me, uh, you're living the dream, right? And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're, but you're also out there supporting and helping fellow parents who are also living the dream. So tell us how you support. What do you do? Do you do support groups? What do you do? I, that's a good question. I like that question. Um, Actually, I liked all your questions, but anyway. (laughs) Thank you. Um, About uh, two years ago, 
you know, I, I mean, going back from there, like I've gone through a lot of stuff. I remember going, saying to God, this was years ago, God, I am an expert in so many areas. Can we just stop now? <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> I don't want to be an expert in anything else. Yeah. Um, he didn't think I was done. Um, so about two years ago, I was looking to see what I was going to do next. Like I said, my boys transitioned into um, other um, supportive care and I'm a solo parent and I'm like, okay, I don't want to go back in the classroom because I had burnt out because I gave my all. I worked really hard. And, and also, I don't know what I think about going back in the classroom, being where I'm at in my journey with my kids and, and my whole journey. Right. And so I thought, what can I do next? And I, you know, try to keep the short story. Um, I ran across someone that was a business coach and, um, I went and did her training and it did, you could do, you know, all kinds of different things with her, like, and coaching popped up for me. That was what I wanted to do. And the first thing was, um, was this, as I want, I want to support parents. I was very clear. I wanted to support parents because there's so many services out there to support our kids. However, if we don't have parents on board, and I know this from experience, if I had made adjustments, if I hadn't um, been able with the support of the team that I had around me, adjust my thinking and look at things differently. My kids wouldn't be where they are now. Mm. They would be in a much more difficult place. They wouldn't, I don't know if they'd be on the street, but they certainly would be in a harder place. I, I, I am a hundred percent convinced of that. So I started to head down that road and go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And then as I thought about it, I'm like, this has been my life. Like I've done this like for almost 20 years. Why in the world do I want to work in this? Like, why? Like, I just, I want to go in the other direction. And um, I, I think I was a little bit of a Jonah moment <laughs> because yeah. my, I, I was going to go in another direction. And my coach actually said to me, I thought you were going to do this. Like, what do you know? I think I was going to help business women or something. She's like, what do you know about that? I'm like, well, nothing. <laughs> and as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I have so much experience here. Yeah, exactly. And I have grown so much because not only did I do all that counseling, all that training, I've since did, um, done the facets um, facilitator training, which has been a year long. I just finished last year. I've yeah, done I'm, so much. I'm in the middle of that now myself. Oh, the year long? It's amazing, yeah, hey? It's amazing. It's really yes. Yes. Yeah. Love it. It's been so good and it's really um, influenced the work that I do and how I work with people. It's just, it's just rounded me a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And I think had I not, you know, had stayed stagnant, obviously I couldn't do this work, but I implemented and I, and I saw what amazing changes I could make in my life. Perfect. Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. um, better a hundred percent. And so that's kind of what, I do with parents is I, I coach parents. It's a 10 week coaching program. Um, but before it's called bringing calm, but really before that, um, I'm not sure which direction to go. I'm kind of torn, but, um, but that's what I do. Like that's my paid program. And we, I'll just finish that. So I'm not halfway through an idea is we go through um, from the very beginning. We talk about self-care. I talk about brain differences. I talk about um, the shift, like the shift that we need to make as parents, but that's, and I do that early on and I weave that all the way through because that's a lifelong thing, man. <laughs> like it's not mm -hmm. something we do yeah. right away. 
That's right. And, you know, and then talk about behaviors. I talk about strategies, which is a little bit different than what, you know, we do in facets and problem solving. And because that's the kind of work that was done with me and, and that's mm-hmm. huge and, um, and how we need yeah. to shift around it. Do you do that as a one-on-one coaching or a group? I do both. Um, some For some people, one-on-one works better because a life with our kids can be really unpredictable and difficult, yeah. especially with homeschooling. And so I do that. And then I also do group. I have really been intentional about keeping my groups small. So like four. Mm-hmm. I, I would maybe go to six, but I talked to all my mamas before and make sure it's a good fit. But I keep it at you know, small so that it can still be very personal. But the benefit of that is they, by the end of the 10 weeks, there's, they have friends and community and um, they learn from each other. Mm-hmm. So that, that has been really good that way. Um, so yeah, I do, I do both. That is awesome. So, Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll work with couples as well. Um, but I will not work with them in the group. Then it has to be the, a one-on-one. Yeah, because um, that's a whole I mean, you know, that parenting with your spouse. And I know that from, you know, being married before that that's a whole different dynamic. And in some ways, this is a whole other discussion, but I'll just leave it after I say this. In some (laughs) ways, it's harder parenting by yourself. And in some ways, it's easier depending on um, how things work. Yeah. If you're on the same page with your spouse on parenting and all of that, I totally get that. You also have a Facebook group. Yes. I have a Facebook group. It's called uh, Supporting Moms of Children with Prenatal Drug Exposure, FASD, and or Autism. I don't know if there's a way, place you can stick this on the podcast. Because it's a mouthful. It's searchable. Um, So I do that. And then in that group, like I also talk a lot on my profile, like I do a lot of posts on my profile. So if we're friends, there's a lot of info there. In my group, I haven't lately because I've really stepped back and just kind of taken a summer break because of my broken arm, but um, (laughs) I've taken a step back, um, but I typically am in there every day. I post um, fun things, you know, I'll do like polls, I'll do um, uh, quotes, I'll do questions, I'll do things just to get people interacting, to maybe think in a way you haven't thought before. You know, I will do food for thought kinds of posts or have you thought about, and so that really makes it stand out or be different than a lot of other groups. I think all of our groups have um, value, um, but I wanted it to be different so it could meet our community in a little bit of a different way. Um, I also do um, trainings in there. And so I do have a five-day training coming up in there called, called Handling Meltdowns with Confidence. And I don't have a set date for that, but that will be in the beginning of September. And so that's um, the way I set that up is, is that okay if I share that? Yes, please, okay. please. <laughs> okay. The way that I set that up is, um, depends where you're in the world, but if you're in U.S. or Canada on the West Coast, in the morning, there's a short training that's pre-recorded that goes out. And you listen to that. And then there's a few questions at the end of it. It's pretty short. It's like, you know, anywhere from five to 10 minutes. Like I do that on purpose. I keep it really short. And then there's some questions and um, it it's homework, but it's, you've put as much into it as you're ready to do. 
right? And um, the first one is like taking inventory. So just kind of taking a look at the lay of the land. What are things like? The next one is, um, oh, this is pretty rusty. Shouldn't be, but it is um, looking at behaviors, I think. And then looking at strategies, you know, it, it kind of, it progresses through the week. Sure. Um, and then all with the angle of help, helping you reduce meltdowns in your home. Mm. Um, it's, there's a lot in there. It's pretty packed. I've had one mom who did it that went um, through most of a year without any major meltdowns, which is pretty fabulous. Significant. Yeah. You're pretty yeah. fabulous. Um, and then, so it goes to, and then in the evening, every evening I, which is again, West coast time, um, I go live in the group and that's where you can ask questions about the day. You can, um, I, I encourage a lot of, um, support, supporting each other. So a lot of community people, one of the biggest things I hear is people don't feel so alone anymore. Because mm -hmm. others are experiencing things that they're experiencing. The other thing I hear a lot of is they didn't realize that this was really common, what they're experiencing, you know, certain, yeah. certain things, um, certain behaviors, because there's a lot of shame, you know, it's, it, you feel a lot of shame if there's a hole in your wall. Like, you know, there's anger, right? You're doing something wrong because people are telling you that. So it really helps shift some of those feelings and emotions through that time. So it's called Handling Meltdowns with Confidence, and it's five days. And I leave it up well, so people can listen to it if they can't listen to it, you know. Sure. So now, how if our listeners are interested in your coaching, in the group, in the trainings, how can they connect with you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would recommend that they join my group. Um, supporting moms of children with prenatal drug exposure, <laughs> FASD and or autism. For short, I call it supporting moms. If they join that, I'm always sharing info in there as to what's coming up next. Then awesome. I am totally fine if they want to send me a message through there as well. If they want to know more about what I do, I will be advertising more about my um five-day training because I'm planning on doing that in the beginning of September. So I should be getting on with that in the next week or so. Wonderful. Well, what we'll do is in the show notes for this episode, we'll put a link to your group. Yeah. Um, and so folks can find you super easy um, yeah. and connect with you there because yeah. that would be, I think that'd be a great way to do that. It would be great. And if, you know, I also would encourage to friend me as well on Facebook um, some people are kind of icky about that and I understand it. It's just that I put a lot of content on my Facebook yeah. profile as well. Like that's where my posts and stuff are as well. Whereas my group is a little bit different, but yeah, either yeah. way. Yeah. yeah, I'm friends on Facebook, so our, our listeners can friend both of us and yeah. get all the stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. So, Judy, uh, uh, this has been great, but as we wrap up, what is on your heart that you would like our adoptive and foster parent listeners to know? Any, you know, final words of advice and encouragement? Um, you know, I, I've been asked this question by other people, and I always... Um, just wanna cry. I don't know why when I get to this question. I think there's 
one of the things is that that struck me when I was thinking about that is our kids are not a mistake. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with them. Um, this is how they were made, and this is how they were created. We are the detectives and the parents in their lives. This is, you know, God chose us to be that person in their life. And as an adult, it, it is a huge responsibility, and it's our job to figure out how they work and how to support them. And our kids are fearfully and wonderfully made, as said in Psalm 139, right? They, they are amazing. Um, but how they develop doesn't line up with the neurotypical milestones. And it is confounding at times. Mm. And expectations are totally out of line. And our kids are doing the best they can with what they have, and so are we. Mm. And so being open, being open to let other people come in and, and to walk alongside and to support because it can be better. Perfect? No. Anybody that tells you can, they can be neurotypical and they can be perfect, they're not right. That's not true. But it can be way, way better. And, um, yeah, I think I think those are some of the big thoughts that I'd like to leave behind. For sure. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. Yeah. And they were placed in our family. Yeah. And they do have a hope in a future. They do. And we are part of them fulfilling that really yes and, and you know walking alongside i mean having a 13 year old now um and again my coach just said to me you know judy you're not going to change her mind mm -hmm. you all you can do is walk alongside and guide so mm -hmm. the last thing i want to do is shove things down hard like my beliefs and my ideas may be different but to come down as a sledgehammer it's not going to be helpful and it's going to turn her away right. I, I don't want her to go right and so right. coming alongside lovingly but knowing how to do that right is really important yeah yeah such wisdom such wisdom i'm just thrilled uh, again, that you uh, were a guest today and mm. sharing from your story and the ups and downs and the, the, the trials and just the perseverance. Um, mm. And then you're giving back uh, along the journey and you've inspired me. I want to go to Mexico or someplace for eight months in homeschool. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to Europe next, but I'll probably yes. end up in Mexico again. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Such an yes. adventure also and making memories with your daughter that she'll never forget also. Okay. I mean, that's incredible. Um, that investment it's, it's, it's um, self-care for both of you mm -hmm. and building relationship and, yeah. and um, such wonderful stuff. I, I just pray you have a blessed mm. eight months away traveling and learning and growing and bonding. And um, thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us today. Thank you, Sandra. And thank you so much for having me and, you know, having this conversation together. It's been, it was, it's been great. It's been really good. And I, yeah, I value this time. Same here. Thanks for being on. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for listening to Judy's story uh, on this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I hope that you were inspired 
uh, and encouraged through uh, Judy's sharing. Uh, and we will put the, in the show notes how you can connect with her. She's got some great trainings and support and coaching to offer. Um, and also we do as well uh, at Justice for Orphans. We have our FASD and trauma resources. You can check out the show notes for this episode as well as our website, justicefororphansny.org. There you will find our FASD 101 workshop which is available online or in person. Uh, FASD 101 is a 90-minute training uh, about FASD for parents and professionals. You can host a group training uh, where you can get together fellow parents, fellow caregivers uh, who would like to learn more together. Um, Or when we have a training, we don't have one on the books yet, but I do believe we're going to be having one coming up this fall. If you want to jump on a training that's already existing, just you yourself, whether it's one of our in-person trainings or one of the online ones, um, you can learn more about all of that on our website. Uh, We're also super excited coming up right around the corner is the uh, Run FASD, Run Fast, JFO is a platinum sponsor for FASD United's Run Fast Virtual 5K, where you can run, walk, or roll anywhere, anytime during the month of September. Uh, And we are hosting a local 5K here in upstate New York. Myself uh, and uh, the amazing Rebecca Tulu, we will be meeting up. Uh, locally in Voorheesville, New York, Rebecca's hometown. Uh, and we're going to walk for FASD advocacy or run. I'm going to walk. She'll probably run. She's a runner, but I'm not. Uh, but come on out. If you're local, come on out on September 10th uh, and, and meet us in person and uh, just do some advocacy there with us and uh, bring some awareness about FASD. If you want to actually sign up for the run, Uh, You get some bling, a t-shirt, some other stuff. Uh, You can go to runfasd.org. And our big news project that's been in the works for some time now, I am super excited. Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope Podcast and myself are collaborating together to bring you Hope for the FASD Journey. It is a support community for us caregivers raising individuals with an FASD. Uh, It's faith-based community. Uh, It will include a bi-monthly support group. So twice a month, we're gonna offer a Zoom support group. Natalie and I will moderate. Uh, We're also gonna have a a one-time a month VIP uh, meeting also online, uh, where you're gonna get to meet some amazing special guests, ask questions and interact. Uh, We're going to have a private Facebook group, which will include uh, a video devotional by either uh, Natalie or myself every Saturday. Uh, And our very first meeting, we're going to kick it off on September 20th. So don't miss out. You can register for the community and learn all of the details. Go to our website, justicefororphansny.org. At the top of the page, you'll see a button or a, a tab that says training. If you click on that, there's a drop down and you'll want to click on FASD and you can learn 
all about all of our resources, including how you can be part of the community um, right there on our website. We would love for you to join us. You can also check out my family's kinship and Ukrainian adoption story in my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father. It has just been nominated for a Golden Scroll Award. You can grab a copy wherever you get books. Uh, if you order it from Amazon, I would love, 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 love for you to go back in there and leave a review. Um, if you've already read it, if you haven't yet put a review on Amazon, please do that. It would make a huge um, difference. Like Right now, I think I've got about 64 uh, reviews on Amazon. My goal is to get 100. So if you've read it, please go on there and leave a review. If you haven't read it yet and you would like a signed copy, I include a special gift bookmark with that, uh, and then I mail it to you myself. You can get a signed copy from my website, sandraflack.com. So I invite you to go there, check that out. Uh, I also wanna give a shout out to some local businesses. Uh, we call them our Care Portal County sponsors because these businesses care about children and families in crisis and they help us do what we do. So a big shout out and thank you to Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Cooksaki, and Cullman Insurance Agency. If you've enjoyed the show, please let us know by subscribing uh, and let your fellow adoptive and foster parenting friends know about this podcast so that they can listen and be encouraged and equipped as well. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. I also have a Facebook and Instagram page so you can look for me at Sandra Flack. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today, and I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.